You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's bow together. Our Father, we are grateful for your word and for the clarity with which you reveal to us the truth concerning our salvation and our security. We pray that you would open our eyes to wonderful things in your word, that through our time here we may come to an even deeper appreciation of such a great Savior as our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would fill our hearts with wonder, love, and affection toward him, and joy in the security that is ours in Christ because of what he has done. And may we walk away from here not trusting in our own righteousness or our own abilities or in our flesh, but solely and only in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we probably, I would think it would be safe to say that everybody here who's been a Christian for longer than a year can probably think of somebody that you know who would fit this description. They became a Christian, supposedly at some point in their life, and started on a path of righteousness. They seem to have turned from their sin and for a period of time uh, grabbed onto Christ and, and laid hold of Him and began a Christian walk and seemed to stop sinning And for a period of time, they had a passion in their heart, and their hearts were strangely warmed, and they had a desire for spiritual things, and they wanted to come to church, and they were even on fire for a period of time. And their newfound faith, as it were, was something that they told everybody about, and they were excited about it, and they were even baptized and took the Lord's Supper and and served in the church for a period of time. And then the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil began to move from temptation to lifestyle. And their life started to cool off a little bit. And then today they have little to no interest in spiritual things whatsoever. In fact, they don't walk with Christ. They don't seem to love Him. They're not interested in His Word. They're not interested in going to church. And to them, the the time that they spent in the faith was just sort of a phase that they went through. But now they have come out of that and moved on to bigger and better things. Do you know somebody like that? It might describe a pastor you had at one time, maybe, in a previous church. Maybe that describes a friend that you went to high school with, a buddy that you went to Bible college with. I have a few of those. Somebody that you knew in a former church. It's all too common, and I would suggest that maybe for some of you sitting here, that describes your spouse one time, or maybe a child that you have that still grieves your heart. What do we make of those situations and those people? What category do they fall into? We're familiar with salvation and what that looks like. We're familiar with people being lost and what that looks like. Into what category do we put people who were apparently saved at one point in time, but now are they not saved? Did they go? What is the third category? Is there a third category? Well, people who do not believe that salvation is eternal, people who believe you can lose your salvation, 
they put those folks in a category of people who were genuinely saved but have lost their salvation. So they would point to those type of people and they would say, see, there is an example of somebody who prayed the prayer, they asked Jesus into their heart, they turned from sin, they were in the church, they worshipped with their hands raised, they said all the right things, they were baptized, served in the church, went on mission trips, prayed fervently, went to every prayer meeting, taught Sunday school, even pastored a church, but now they have walked away and apostatized and they're no longer in the faith now. So that's an example of somebody who was genuinely saved and had fruit for a period of time. And now they have fallen away and they're no longer saved. So that's an example of somebody who had salvation and lost it. Those who do not believe that you can lose your salvation, they tend to create a different category. We would call them carnal Christians. Now, these are people who became a believer, but then they got entangled in the sins of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and they became carnalized or fleshly in their walk. And so they were overcome by sin and temptation, and now their life is characterized by the flesh. Everything that they do is by the flesh. They are, they're so bound up in sin, though they did get saved, and they are saved, and they're eternally secure, but today they don't live like they're saved. In fact, there's no spiritual fruit there whatsoever. There's no indication that they belong to the Lord. They're just so caught up in the flesh that they are carnal. They're carnal and not spiritual. And so there's no fruit of the Spirit. There's no indication of the indwelling of the Spirit. There's no progression in sanctification, no growth in righteousness. They're carnal Christians. Now, I don't believe there is any such thing as a carnal Christian in that sense. Can Christians fall into the flesh or live according to the flesh? Yeah, they can. Can Christians sin? Yes, they can. Sometimes they can sin grievously. But that is different. Falling into sin is different than diving into sin. Falling into sin is different than waking up in the morning and plotting and planning and living in sin intentionally. That's different than than just falling into it. A regenerate person falls into sin and then gets up, dusts themselves off, climbs up out of the ditch and moves on with the Lord. An unregenerate person falls into sin and never gets out of it because they love it. They love that darkness. So I don't believe that there is any category called carnal Christianity. People who were really saved and they're going to make it to heaven. But in the meantime, we can't tell whether they're really saved or not because they don't live like they're saved. Have you met some of those folks? People that you say, they call themselves Christians, but I sure wouldn't want to be handcuffed to them when they die because I just don't know for sure. I'm a little uncertain about those individuals. Well, what category do we put them into? Might I suggest to you that they are not people who were genuinely saved and fell away and lost their salvation. And they are not people who are genuinely saved and eternally secure, even though they live entirely in the flesh and you can't tell they're Christians at all. There is a, there is a category that those folks fall into, and it is in the lost category. We would call them false converts. These are people who embraced Christ for a period of time. Maybe it was the thing to do. Maybe they heard a bad gospel presentation. They gave the Jesus thing a whirl. They asked Jesus into their heart, but he never stuck around. It's not that they backslid. They never slid forward to begin with. They never had salvation. They professed to have a faith that genuinely did not save them because they started on a path, maybe for a number of different motives. They wanted to try the self-improvement thing, see if they can add Jesus to their life in order to clean things up and help them out a bit. But they genuinely were not converted and they genuinely did not have eternal life. But they profess for a period of time and they pretend for a period of time to have eternal life. These are false converts. There are, as Scripture describes, tares among the wheat. There are goats among the sheep. There are false brethren among the true brethren, false prophets among true prophets, false teachers among true teachers, children of the world who live among the children of light. There are people who start Christianity for whatever reason and start on a path. They look a lot like Christians, 
but they're never genuinely, truly saved because they have never repented of their sins and been born again. And it should be easy, if we have our understanding of how salvation comes, it should be easy for us to understand how this could happen. What does it take to become a Christian? Is it that I sign at the bottom line on a doctoral statement, say, yes, I believe these things? Does that make me a Christian? Does a prayer that I pray make me a Christian? Does baptism make me a Christian? Does joining a church make me a Christian? Is it a decision that I make? There's only one thing that can make you a Christian. You know what it is? The sovereign, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes somebody a Christian. And the Spirit of God is like the wind. He moves where He wills. He regenerates whom He wills. He does whatever He wants to do. So it should not surprise us that the devil would be able to fabricate a and cheap imitation of salvation by luring people into a false sense of security and giving them the sense that if they just become more moral or if they give up a few sins or if they join this group of people that they are secure when in fact they are not secure. The security of our salvation does not depend upon, uh, uh, does not come to a group of people who simply name the name of Christ. It comes to a group of people who have been born again by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Truly born again. So is it possible for somebody who pretends for a period of time to be a Christian, is it possible for that individual to, after a period of time, give up those pretenses and walk away from a faith that they claim to have? Is that possible? Absolutely it's possible. happens every day. But is it possible for somebody who has been truly born again and regenerated by the Spirit of God, who has had all of their sins forgiven and has been declared righteous in the sight of God because the Son of God has atoned for and paid the eternal penalty of the wrath of God upon them, is it possible for that one to fall away and lose his soul for eternity? No. It is possible for pretenders to stop pretending. It is not possible for genuinely born-again, saved individuals to lose their salvation. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 29, we are looking at these promises of security. There are eight of them. We have looked at four of them so far. His sheep hear his voice. He knows his sheep. His sheep follow him. And the fourth one, he gives eternal life to his sheep. And last time we were together, we stopped with that fourth one. We're moving on to the next two today. It was a couple of weeks ago, so let me give you one statement or a couple of statements for each of those to recap the essence of it. Now listen, keep in mind, any one of these eight statements is enough to ground the doctrine of the security of the sheep. We are secure in Christ because of any one of these eight statements. To have all eight of them brought together here is, is just an insurmountable argument for the security of those who belong to Christ. So first, his sheep hear his voice. It's not possible that you as his sheep, if you belong to him from eternity past, will die in your sins having never heard the call to salvation. It is not possible for you to not hear his voice. It is not possible for him to call you to salvation and for you to mistake it for something else and to fail to come. You will hear his voice. And consequently, you will come if you belong to him. Second, he knows his sheep. He knows who they are. And because he knows who they are and he knows them in a loving, intimate connection type of way, he will save all those who are his. He knows who are his and he goes about the process of saving each and every individual one because the Father has given to him sheep and he knows exactly who they are and he will not allow them to perish because his own word, his own word depends upon it. Third, his sheep follow him. It's not possible that they would follow another shepherd. It's not possible that they would wander away. It's not possible that they would come to him for a period of time and then wander off and follow something else and die in their sins and, and perish. That is not possible. His sheep will follow him. And one of the marks of a true sheep that belongs to Christ is that they are following Christ. And number four, he gives to them eternal life. What kind of life? Eternal life. How long does eternal life last? 
It lasts for eternity. That's what eternal means. It means it's a life that goes on for eternity. This is not a life that we hope to get sometime when we die as a reward for a life well lived. It is a life that you and I as his sheep possess right now. The life that I have right now is the life of God himself. It is the result of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Christ continually supplies it to you, and it will go on forever, and it can never come to an end because it is eternal life. Now the fifth one. We'll look at the fifth and the sixth. Verse 28. I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish. This is the sixth promise, they, or fifth promise. They will never perish. They will never, never perish. What is perishing? Perish is to die in eternal death, right? To perish is not to cease to exist. To perish is to die in a state of spiritual death and then to live in that state of spiritual death without any hope of life. That is what it means to perish. It is to lose everything, all of God's blessing, all of God's grace, every good thing you have ever enjoyed. To perish means to suffer the loss of all of that and to die in your sins and to perish under the wrath of God. Here is the promise for those who belong to the Son. You will never perish. Now there is a sense in which that statement is the the opposite of the flip side of the coin with the previous statement. I give to them eternal life. That's one side of the coin. They will never perish. That's the other side of the coin. Those two promises must go together and the one flows from the other. They are two sides of the same coin. Because he gives us eternal life, therefore we can never perish. Why is it that I can never perish? It is because he gives to me eternal life. Those two are intimately connected. You see it even in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that is his only and unique son, that all those who are believing on him will not what? Perish. They'll never perish. That's the one side. But have what? Everlasting life. That's the other side. How does God save us from eternally perishing? By giving us a life that can never end. And if God has given to us a life that can never end, then how is it possible that I could perish? Since perishing is the opposite of that. Do you see how those two must and always go together? If he has given to me a life that is eternal, then I can never perish. It's impossible. It's impossible for me to perish. I can never suffer the loss of my soul, and I can never die in an unregenerate state, because the life that he's given to me is an eternal life. And if the life that he has given to me is an eternal life, then it is impossible that I should ever perish. That is why Jesus can say, they shall never perish. And you notice there are no exceptions to this. In fact, there are no exceptions really to any of these promises. Let me ask you this. How many of those, from verse 29, that the Father has given to the Son, how many of them will hear His voice? Some, most, or all? All. How many of them will come to Him? Some, most, or all? All. How many of them will believe? Some, most, or all? All. How many of them will He give eternal life to? All. How many of them does He promise will never perish? All. Jesus does not say, I will give to them eternal life and I'm going to do my best to keep as many as I can. Some or most or a lot of them are going to perish. But many of them are going to keep eternal life. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't guarantee that most of His sheep will make it or that some of His sheep will make it or many of His sheep, but that how many? All of His sheep will make it. Why is that? Because he's the perfect shepherd. And as I said in John chapter 6, verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given to me, I lose none. That's the Father's will. What type of a shepherd, what kind of a shepherd is unable to secure the life and safety of his sheep? What kind of a shepherd is that? 
What kind of a shepherd is unable to secure his sheep against every danger and to preserve them and keep them alive? For if Jesus were to lose even one of his sheep, just one, then he is a failure, for he has failed to do the will of the Father who sent him. And if he loses one, one, then he has failed to do what God sent him to do, what the Father sent him to do. If he loses even one, then he is not only a failure, but listen, he is a liar, for he said he would give them eternal life and that they would never perish. And lo and behold, one of them perished. And the demons in hell would rejoice, and they would say, he said he could keep them, but he couldn't. And we successfully snatched a few from his hand. How many of his sheep will perish? None of them will ever perish. But if you believe that you can lose your salvation, then listen, you must concede as well that, should I say thousands, countless multitudes have in fact perished. If you believe you can lose your salvation, then you would have to concede that perhaps millions have perished who were once saved. I could name for you, without even really pausing or stopping, I could name for you a hundred people that I know that fit the description I gave you at the beginning. People who started into the Christian life and then fell away. Some of them related to me. Some of them that I went to Bible college with. Some of them that I have known as friends. Some of them that I knew in high school that today give no evidence of salvation whatsoever. I could name a hundred without even stopping. How many could you name? And you add all of those together. Are we to believe that Christ has lost all of those people? If you believe that you can lose your salvation, then you have to concede that there are thousands, countless thousands, in whom God began a good work, but He did not finish it. Who started on a path of salvation, but God could not keep them. Who once belonged to the Savior, but now are suffering the torments of the wrath of God in hell. What type of a shepherd is that? That is not a good shepherd. What type of a shepherd cannot secure those who belong to Him? A failing shepherd. A miserable and pathetic shepherd. But what is our shepherd? Our shepherd is one who says, Of all that the Father has given to me, all my sheep, I will lose not one, not a single one. I will keep all of them, and they will never perish. And I give to them a life that will never end. And He does this unfailingly. He does this faithfully, and He does it fully and without exception. He does this for all of His sheep. He gives them eternal life, and they will never perish. And there are no contingencies here. No contingencies in the passage. It doesn't matter how long you live. You might live to be as old as Methuselah, and you might face every single temptation conceivable in your mind. But here is the promise. You will never perish. Your body may decay. You may lose your mind. You may lose your life. But you will never perish. You may even grow so old that you are no longer even able to contribute like you once did to the kingdom of God. You become battle-weary from living for the Lord and fighting the good fight, and you're just tired and you're exhausted and you want to go home. But you will never perish. No matter how much you fail, no matter what circumstance or situation comes about, you can never perish. That's the promise. Without no exceptions, no contingencies, you can come up with any what-if scenario, any But what about circumstance? Describe to me anything, and I will tell you this, if it results in even one of his sheep perishing, you have imagined a fairy tale. So you must stop basing your theology on fairy tales. If you think that one of his sheep can perish because of some concocted scenario in your mind, you have imagined an impossibility. It cannot happen. His sheep cannot perish. Because that would prove him to be a liar and a failure. Is that the Jesus you worship? A liar and a failure? He has promised that none of his sheep can perish. None of them will lose their eternal life because that life that he gives is eternal. And it is eternal in terms of time and eternity. You ever realize this, that eternal life means that not only do I enjoy this life now, 
This blows my mind. One million millennia from now, I will still be as much alive spiritually as I am today. Isn't that wild? And when we have passed a million, million millennia, in the new heavens and the new earth, I will be just as alive as I am today, spiritually. In fact, I'll be more alive than I am today because I won't have this dead flesh clinging to me. But I will be more alive than I have ever been because that is what eternal life is. And there is no danger and no threat and no person and no individual and nothing that can come against me, no matter how long I live, no matter what I do, no matter where I am at, no matter who or what I encounter, there is nothing that can come against me which threatens that because my Savior is sovereign and He secures all those who belong to Him. Because He has promised that His sheep, He gives them eternal life and they will never perish. Now you say, Jim, what about if I fail to abide? I fail to abide. I've been told I need to abide in Christ. And as long as I cling to Him, and as long as I hold on to Him, that I can't be lost. But what if I fail to abide? If you fail to abide, then what would that bring? You perishing? Well, that's impossible. Do you realize that your abiding in Christ is His gift to you? It is the result of the life that He supplies to you. That's His grace. If you fail to abide, can that thwart the promise of God? Can Jesus be proved to be a failure because I in some way fail? Can my failure or my sin make Him out to be a failure of a Savior? It can't. What if I walk away from the faith? Well, if you walk away from the faith, all you're doing is taking off the mask and allowing everybody to see your true nature. You walk away from the faith, all it does is demonstrate that you were not His to begin with. So if you walk away from the faith, then all you're showing is that you do not belong to Him. And you're just letting everybody see what is really, truly the spiritual situation. Will the person who walks away from Christ perish? Certainly they will. But they're not his sheep. Because his sheep follow him. They hear his voice and he preserves and secures them. His sheep will not walk away. Well, what about if my faith is weak? What about if my faith is weak? Do you realize that it is not your grip on the Savior that secures you, but his grip on you? We're going to look at that in a moment. It is not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith. Even a weak faith can save you to the uttermost. Because it is a faith, even a weak faith, is a faith placed in a strong Savior who secures those who belong to Him. What if somebody were to say to you, I don't want to be saved anymore? What would you say? I would say to them, you don't have to worry about it. The fact that you don't want to be saved anymore proves that you're not saved right now, and you never were. So, problem solved. No true sheep would ever say, I don't want to be saved anymore. No true sheep would ever say, the grass is greener over there. I'm going to leave Christ so that I can have this. The sheep don't act like that. So those are all imagined impossibilities. It's impossible for any of that to happen. But is it possible for somebody who pretends to be a Christian, who prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into their heart, is it possible for such a one to later on turn and walk away? Yeah, it is. Because as Peter says, like a dog returns to its vomit, and like a sow having washed to its wallowing in the mire, these people return to the sin and the darkness that they loved so much. And they were never really truly delivered from it. They never had a change of nature. Still the dog, still the sow, and they go right back to the filth from which they came. That shouldn't surprise us at all, because men who are unsaved love darkness. So that's the promise. They shall never perish. Before we move on to that next statement, no, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, you should be reminded that you can suffer the loss of a thousand things without this promise ever being violated. Do you realize that? You might suffer temptation and trial and disease and disaster and death. You might suffer the loss of your spouse, suffer the loss of your children, suffer the loss of every earthly treasure, 
every blessing you have ever enjoyed. You may be like Job and suffer the loss of absolutely everything on this earth without this promise ever being violated. Because this promise guarantees not that everything you own and cherish will not perish, but that you yourself will not perish. That your soul is secure. And that is worth more than everything this world can offer. Now the next phrase, not only shall we never perish, but number six, none can snatch his sheep from their hand, from his hand. Verse 28, I give them eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is just another statement that sort of adds weight to the, to what Jesus is saying. No one will snatch them from my hand. Now if you, this is intended by the way to be a very vivid illustration for a shepherd. It, it is intended to call to our minds this picture of the shepherd lovingly holding us and all of his sheep are individually and corporately in his hand. And here's the promise. The one who believes upon me and is saved and whom I have given eternal life to, they will never perish because they rest in his hand. So the imagery is intended to communicate to us the security of the sheep, not the insecurity of the sheep. So if you read those words and you think to yourself, wow, I'm in his hand. I mean, I could fall out, I could stumble out, I could encounter a moment of temporary insanity where I go nuts in my head and I say something or I do something and then I die in my sins right then and I will perish. What a, what a, what a faulty and insecure predicament I am in, that I am in his hands hanging on by a thread. You've misread the entire analogy. If you're in his hand, remember, in whose hand are you? In whose hand? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the last, the author and finisher of your faith. The one who has promised that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is able to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy, perfect and holy and blameless and spotless on the day of Christ Jesus. That is the one. The one who puts up kings and takes down kings, who establishes nations and appoints over those nations the lowliest of men, that is the one who holds your salvation in his hand. It is the one in whose hand we are that gives us security. We're not hanging on to his fingertips, his fingernails, by a thread, by our own grip. We rest securely in his grip. He is the one who holds us. The Lord is our keeper, and he keeps the soul of those who trust in him. That's the promise. Now you say, what if I stop trusting in him? Are you his sheep? What is his promise? He holds you. And you are securely in His hand. And there is nothing that you can do which can alter that situation or that condition. Because your security does not rest upon your flimsy grasp of Christ. Your security rests upon His firm grasp of you. And you are in the hands of one who is sovereign and powerful and you are as secure as He is sovereign. You are as secure as He is able. And He is able to keep that which you have committed unto Him against that day. Is He not? He's able. Paul says, I have this confidence that that which I have committed unto him, he will keep. Not that he will give me the strength if I am willing to keep it, but that he will keep it. And because he has pledged himself to keep those who are his, I am secure in him. I can rest in him. And I need not worry any foe or any enemy which might threaten to snatch me from his hand. Now, notice that it says we will not be snatched from his hand, but it doesn't say that you won't be snatched at. You realize the difference between that? You're going to be snatched at. You will have devils and demons and temptations and disappointments and discouragements and depressions and doubts, all of which will seek to snatch you from his hand. They'll snatch at you, but they cannot snatch you from his hand. And every Christian will probably feel the lure of the world, the flesh, and the devil at some point in their lives, something that 
wants to pull them away and wants to draw them away. You ought to expect that if you are a Christian because all of the forces of darkness are allied against you and they would love to undo you, but they cannot because they can snatch at you, but they cannot snatch you from his hand. That's his promise. No one can snatch them out of my hand. But Jim, what if I fail? Because after all, the promise, and I've heard this said, by the way, in fact, I've heard this preached, as horrible as this is going to sound, I've heard this preached. The promise is against enemies outside of me, which seek to undo me. And though I may not be snatched by someone else from his hand, certainly I can jump out of his hand by my own free will. Or by some failure in me, I could stumble and fall out of his hand. He's only promising that I can't be snatched from his hand, but he's not promising that I can't jump from his hand. So if I decide that I want to, or because of some failure in me, I can freely leave, but if somebody else tries to take me, all of a sudden he's going to secure me. But every once in a while he opens it up and gives me the chance to leave. See, I can leave of my own free will. Anytime I want to leave, I can I open the door. The door has the handle on the inside. I open up the door and I can walk right out. But if somebody else tries to snatch me, then I'm secure. What do you think about that? Did you not read the last phrase? They shall never perish. So is it possible for the sheep to jump out of his hand? Well, if that would result in them perishing and it's impossible for them to perish, then no, that's not a possibility. You see, I need a Savior who secures me from me. You realize that? I need a Savior who saves me from myself. It's not just Satan. And it's not just sin. And it's not just His wrath. I need a Savior who delivers me from my flesh, from my heart, from my wickedness, from my depravity, from my own corrupt desires. Are you telling me that Jesus is able to secure me from the will and the ploys of every demon in the heavenly places, of every principality and power, every person on the face of this planet, but he is not sure enough and not strong enough to secure me from me. That me by my will, that I by my will, an act of my own will, can thwart his electing purposes for me or his predetermined plan for me. I'm stronger than the shepherd. If he has got me securely in his hand and nothing can pluck me from that, does the nothing not include me? It should include me, doesn't it? That means nothing. Nothing means nothing. And I am part of the nothing or I am part of the anything which can't pluck me from his hand. I need a Savior who secures me and saves me from me. Because if I could sin my way out of salvation, I would. If I could fail my way out of salvation, I would. If my salvation depended upon my grip on Him, I would have fell away a long time ago. My Savior saves me from sin. He saves me from Satan. And He saves me from myself. He keeps us. We are kept. We are kept so that He will not allow us to jump out even if I wanted to, but the idea of even wanting to is absurd. It's inane. It's an impossibility. What sheep wants to jump from that hand? What sheep wants to abandon such a Savior? Any Jesus or any shepherd who cannot save his sheep because his sheep are more powerful than he is, is no Savior at all. And any shepherd who leaves the security of his sheep up to the will of the sheep is a pathetic Savior. But those who believe that Christians can lose their salvation, that is the exact Savior that they worship. A shepherd who cannot secure us from ourselves. A shepherd who leaves the security of his sheep up to the sheep. And a a shepherd who is not powerful enough to save his sheep 
from his sheep. What is the promise? They will never perish. Never. Never perish. Because he will not fail to save all those whom the Father has given to him. So away with the doctrine of demons that says, My Savior is not mighty to save. He is. And he will save forever and fully to the uttermost all those who come to Jesus, to God through Jesus Christ. He saves them fully and finally. And he preserves them from following away. But you know what? It is a blessing to the church sometimes to have people turn and walk away because it reveals their true heart and their true nature. And better to have fakes revealed than have fakes among us. Is it not? It is a blessing to have the frauds revealed. It's a blessing when the, it is a blessing to the sheep when the wolves take off the sheep's clothing. When they take off the mask and we see them because then we see them in their spiritual condition. Then we can go to them and say, look, I am fearful for your soul. You started for a period of time and now you have wandered away. This evidence is that you do not belong to him, that you have never truly trusted in Christ. Please repent. Please turn to him. Please come to Christ. Not again, but for the first time. That is a blessing. If one of my children should turn and walk away from the faith, I would consider that a blessing from God. Because then I could go to them and then I would know what their true spiritual situation is. And I could deal with that. Better that than to think that my child is saved and to be deceived about that until the day I die and the day that they die. Better to have the mask come off. It is a blessing. Does that mean it doesn't hurt us? No, it hurts. It hurts when a child does that, when a spouse does that, when a best friend does that. It's painful. But listen, there's blessing in that pain because at least you know. And then you can deal with it and you can plead with them and appeal to them. So here's the promise. They'll never perish. And no one, none, nothing can snatch them from my hand. And you can't jump. So don't imagine a little sheep jumping out of the Savior's hand. It's an impossibility because that means that the sheep could perish. But what's the promise? They'll never perish. They'll never perish. So that is the sixth out of eight. We will deal with the next two next week. And here's what we're going to do next week. Next week we'll look at these last two phrases. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now if you think being held in the Son's hand is is secure, imagine being held in the Son's hand and then being held in the Father's hands. You think you can jump out of that? You can't jump out of that either. So we'll look at those two statements, and then I will answer some common objections or questions, not that I'm going to field them from everybody here, but I'm going to answer some common questions or objections that are raised to this doctrine. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful to you for the security that we enjoy in Christ. These words, they are clear enough, they are straightforward enough, and so we thank you that you have made it so clear that we can trust in your Son, and he will forever and fully keep all those who belong to him. We thank you that we have a perfect shepherd who does not leave our security up to our own will or our own ability to cling to him, but that he firmly holds on to us. We pray that you would bless and keep all those who belong to Christ and that you would expose as frauds and fakes those in our lives who truly need to come to a saving knowledge of your son. May you continue to bless your people and keep us as we trust upon your son, both now and forever, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.